Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 185 of Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Italian Grand Prix in Monza, Italy. I'm excited, and I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And as we've talked about, this is one of the classic races. Uh, you know, it's under threat right now, which is a shame. Because, which is ridiculous. Uh, because Monza is great, Italy is great, and it's one of the classic races that's been around the calendar for almost, I think I think Britain predates it slightly, but in terms of being at the same track since forever, dude, Monza. And I, it's yeah. a great track. It's obviously this high-speed track. It's like almost an oval. You know, it was an oval back in the day. They had the banking and the whole thing. Now it's, of course, got some uh, some, some modern parts to it, but still... The Paraguayica, the Lesmos, the you know just Curva Grande, all these good parts of the track, and uh, the fact that that might be under threat is really too it's, bad. Well, so. it's ridiculous, is what it is. And I actually, right off the bat, we're going to disagree with each other. I don't think it's one of the classics. I think it is the classic. Ooh, Spa to me is when you look at a dynamic racetrack, the best thing on the calendar. But Monza, in terms of the experience, is hands down the best on the calendar. The whole, the whole inclusive racing nerddom experience that is the Monza weekend cannot be beat. Yeah, that's just because you're such a Ferrari fan, though. I think I feel like it's it's so specialized with the Tifosi, which I think as no, we no, previously no, no, but, discussed. Uh, okay, but it is not just that. It is just as you described. The character of the track is unique and fast and demanding. The amount of energy the teams put into it, the, the unique. Uh, aspects we get from the dry, uh, not from the drivers, but from the teams in terms of downforce configurations and everything else. I think it's an amazing place. And I then, mean, it's it's no Russian Grand Prix though. Come on, let's be well, let's be real. That is true. The passion that, that is just true. comes through in the no, I, yeah. Monza. Da, we are excited. Da. <laughs> no, Monza, Monza is great. Uh, so I, I didn't mean to go off on a super tangent there, but um, it's. Anyway, I want to you know enjoy the racing while we can uh, from Monza, and really hope that they can come to figure out some deals to uh, maintain you know Monza and you know just you know get the money or whatever worked out so that uh, fans can keep going there and enjoying it and having the crazy podium ceremony where everyone just crowds over the track and there's the whole thing um, and uh, you know just carrying on racing there because like I say yeah the low downforce setup and uh, and and just kind of uh, being of course it's very special for Ferrari and for Ferrari fans uh, but but uh, as you say for for racing for all the racing fans. Uh, it, it is a very special place. As a tiny little aside, a slight, uh, you know, bright spot in what you just described. I believe it was Australia that just extended their contract yeah, for, to 2023. That's right. So Australia, which is really it's a it's a lovely fitting event for Formula One. It's definitely um, one of the higher higher ranked events in my in my book. So I'm glad to hear about that. And I'm glad it's in Melbourne. So there's that. Yeah, that's another one I'd love to go to. That's, that's obviously a pretty long uh, flight from just about anywhere, really, but especially from the U.S. to get to Australia. But I've heard uh, nothing but good things about Melbourne. Uh, and then the race there being sort of a street circuit, but kind of in the park, in Albert Park. Um, and, and all that does sound really good. But I'm just uh, desperate to try some Vegemite. That's just... Oh, dude, it's not it's not good. Really high on my oh, list. Oh, no, it's no good. Um, so... Uh, the Italian Grand Prix, not the most thrilling race that there ever has been. But not bad. Um, right. And a lot of the controversy, really, or a lot of the, the, the intrigue, I mean, I don't know. I, I, th- I thought it was, it was fun. You know, of course, we're, we are uh, recording this a week after the race actually happened. So we have had time to digest it a bit. Right. And, and I watched it late. Uh, I was actually out on a camping trip with the family, which was really nice. Um, so then I came back, and then the following morning at about the normal time that it would be on for us about 8 a.m., you know, watch the race then. So it was like almost a pretend live, but a week late or a few days late. And, uh, 
But watch it in the morning. And, but pretend uh, live. I like well, that. Well, you know, it's just like, like waking up early and then Formula One being the first thing. Like I watched the qualifying the late night before and then, you know, knew the, knew the whole thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, the race was like sort of fine. But really the whole controversy of it was this, you know, all, you know Formula One's version of deflate gate, right, for an NFL reference. Um, but was were the tires on uh, Hamilton's car, they were underinflated to a safety regulation. But uh, yes. no one, um, you know, and it's like, and there's these Pirelli inspectors and this, the steward guys that, that knew about it. Um, but then they didn't bring it to anybody's attention until very late in the race. And then we saw Toto Wolff shouting, shouting about it on the radio and saying, oh, Lewis, you need to build this gap. Uh, no time to explain. Just just drive. Just drive. And Lewis was like, okay, but this kind of sucks. So he did yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was kind of like a we'll tell you later, just trust us. And I think um, Paul Peard sent us an email. Thank you very much, Paul, that uh, will start off the conversation really nicely. Paul Peard says, my two cents worth. The details of the Stewart's ruling highlight how poorly thought out the regulation and Pirelli specification was. My reading is that they have a rule that teams must keep to manufacture spec and that there is no foolproof way to, of checking this, making the FIA and the sport look ridiculous again. Embarrassing for Pirelli and the FIA, I think. Paul Peart. I, I, I mean, frankly, I have a hard time disagreeing with that. They had data that said Mercedes was underinflated and all of a sudden they needed uh, Lewis Hamilton to push to pull this huge gap. Mercedes then came to uh, FIA later and said the pressures were fine. They were on under the heat blankets when you guys checked them or whatever. And they said, oh, yeah, I guess that's cool. It's like, well, wait a second. That's you should have knowing that temperature affects tire pressure. Um, from an engineer's point of view, is fairly um, common knowledge. So how could that have been missed when they're building this rule for minimum tire pressure? Right. Well, the the big thing, and uh, I have to give some credit to uh, Will Buxton's article I thought was a really great take on this, is that this, the particular ruling they're talking about here, is uh, on the grounds of safety. This is a safety thing to say we don't want spectacular tire blowouts a la Silverstone and, you know, what all can happen with a car, you know, losing control when its tires go out and then there's debris and there's all these other, you know, knock-on effects. So... Um, this is not a, this isn't like, you know, oh, your car is running too low to the ground and you're getting advantage from that. This is not about having, you know, a wing being the wrong size or being too flexible or something like that, which is all, you know, there's no safety questions in those. That's all about performance and getting an advantage and cheating the rules. This rule, as it stands, is about safety. So it's one of these, it's, it's one of these things where you have to say, if it's about safety, then as soon as you find a problem, the only safe thing, you know, to maintain safety is to tell everyone basically, hey, you guys, I found this thing. It's not safe. We, you know, we, we as a community, as a, as a sport and as the rule makers and all that, as the stewards have decided this is safe and, you know, this pressure level for the tire is safe. Anything under this pressure or over the over that pressure is not safe. So as soon as you find that, like, it's like, hey, guys, don't start the race. Your, your tires aren't safe, you know, should be the response if they've all, you know, done all the due diligence on the race, on the, on the levels to determine this is safe and, and outside of that window is not safe. So they knew that before the race um, and they, you know, didn't say anything to anybody. Um, it was all sort of in through the, the stewards had it. There's the FIA technical delegate, Joe Bauer, whose name has been uh, kicked around here as like he was sort of would have been the, the guy to uh, manage that. Um, so, um, you know, there's there some question whether the reading was wrong or if it was taken at a bad time, like you say, with the, uh, uh, with the tire blankets and it wasn't, you know, wasn't taken at a you know, properly representative time. Um, it took over an hour for that, you know, and that's an hour while they're right while they're racing, um, for that information to reach the stewards. Uh, and then by the time it came through that the, the whole, uh, call from the pit wall to Lewis was, 
hey, you know, get out as much of a lead as you can. Because he already had, like, I think it was around 20 seconds. It might have been 18 or something. And it's this further No, I think that. it was over 20. Yeah. And the only, the only thing is if they either had to do a late race pit stop um, to change some tire, if that was an issue, or if there was going to be the equivalent of a drive-through penalty, which would be 20 seconds added to your time uh, after the race. Then, well, 25. Oh, oh, right, 25. So then, so to have enough... Uh, have enough cushion so that you could take that penalty and still end up end up the winner. Um, of course, now a week later, uh, probably most uh, folks listening know uh, that was, uh, you know, his, his the ruling was. It's, I don't know if it overruled or exactly. You know that the the challenge never never made it to the point that uh, Lewis's win was discounted or anything. So it's you know Lewis Hamilton still has won the race. You know, just like was on the podium and was, indeed by over twenty five seconds. Right, and there was a question about it at the time, um, but uh, I think. You know, people now that now that the, the FIA has looked at it closely and they, they realize, okay, yeah, that was this isn't the kind of thing you would gain an advantage from, um, and uh, you know, it's really it was about safety and it was more on their problem not to notify someone ahead of time and, and so on. Uh, so it's not like this is Mercedes cheating and that that's why Lewis Hamilton was 25 seconds out. I mean, as as a, a quick mention, I mean, it seems like you know the 2016 spec power unit that was in Lewis's car, you know is a freaking dominant thing. Like, you know, yeah. all the Mercedes uh, cars, you know, all the Williams and stuff are really keen to get that engine as soon as possible because, man, that, that, that thing does seem stout because uh, Lewis has been good all year. But, man, this was a really dominant performance. And uh, Monza, as we talked about, is an engine track. So, Which, I will throw this in, this is more proof that we don't need some mandate for 1,000 horsepower engines. The development in engines is moving along quickly. That Mercedes themselves have found another 25, 50 horsepower, whatever the number is. We're creeping well beyond 800 horsepower pretty fast here. And I think that the whole situation that went with Pirelli Tire and the situation with Lewis it is the correct and happy ending that it ended up being no penalties. My question to you is, do you think that at the communications level, engineering to Lewis, if Mercedes handled that well? It's a, it's a fair question. Um I think I think so. Uh, you know, they don't want to. Uh, it, it's a bit like you know, if you get pulled over in a car and the officer says, "Do you know how fast you were going?" If you go, "Yeah, I was going about 90, then you know, who cares what the actual number was? If you think you were going ninety, then you're already in trouble for going ninety. Like it's it's if if uh, if Mercedes gets on the team and says, "Oh, Lewis, we have a problem with the tires. The tires aren't safe." Then regardless of what the stewards did, they could say, "Oh, you guys clearly knew you had unsafe tires." So it's sort of this like um, you know self incrimination kind of thing. If they say, "Hey, just Lewis, you need to push." Um, and you know, Lewis wasn't happy about it at the moment, but I feel like, um, ultimately he, he's gotten over that probably now cause he did win the race and maybe he's, you know, not pleased with the way the team handled some information or whatever, but I th- imagine they've had a meeting about it. Uh, and a, the fact that Lewis won still, you know, it's not like, oh, we have this problem and we didn't tell you and now your car blew up or something. I love Rosberg. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it was, you know, he did win the race. He's completely extended his his championship lead because, as we say, Rosberg had that failure. So it's like, okay, it wasn't it wasn't cool, as in Lewis's words, to uh, make him push really hard for the end of the race. But he did it, and the car held up, and the tires held up, and he won in a dominant fashion. And had a um, he got to be interviewed by the amazing George Lucas on the podium, which was yeah. One we'll of the get worst to that one later. But, yeah, that uh, was uh, <laughs> you know that was the beginning of uh, Star Wars Episode Ten. They're they're doing they're already in the midst of their next uh, trilogy, so this will be the forthcoming trilogy it's, that will it's, it's no good be for uh, your children's children. I disagree with you. I think that to not not you know give not be guilty by saying something incorrectly is a reasonable thing to want to avoid. 
especially when you feel confident internally that we didn't do anything wrong. Well, however, though, to be so staunchly like, we're not telling you a word, just do as we say, that kind of approach that they took is sparks negative emotions in the driver right away. It's like, wait, they're very clearly stating that there is something going on that something isn't good and you're not important to know you're not important enough to know about it i know that that isn't literally the case but those are the type of emotions you instill right away and you absolutely did instill those in lewis and lewis is a character where you got to be more careful about that than the average driver perhaps well i think i think as you say there's more to it i think lewis would know it's not that they have uh, that oh you as a driver is not important enough to know First of all, it would be kind of a technical thing to describe. And, you know, Lewis has had these, you know, don't talk to me while I'm in the corners. And, there's, you know, there's a lot of corners at, at Monza. And there's straightaways, too. But still, to explain, if they get on the radio and say, okay, so the first set of tires that you used that was like an hour and a half ago now, those ones were under, you know, were inflated to this level. And the result was supposed to be that level. And they tested it. They didn't tell us until just now they told us. So maybe there's going to be a problem. Maybe there's going to be a penalty. Maybe not. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe we'll so, get disqualified. So, Lewis, what ha- happened was... Right. It's like a whole story. And <laughs> no, no, no. But look, you can... So what would, like, you, what would you have Patty Lowe or have his engineer say to Lewis then? Be like, think- Lewis, hey, just so you know, uh, just to... Just to... I don't know. We'll come up with a couple of fun words to... He's already in the corners. High G-force. Okay. He's got the lights and shadows going. What are you saying? Keep talking. Be like, hey, uh, just to... Uh, don't talk to me signify, in the corners, man. Just to signify this win or to fortify the win or some blah, blah, blah term. It's like, hey, we really need you to pull uh, a bit more of a gap. Please push hard. That was like three laps just went by. Yep. Yep. No, to fortify the win. And he's like, wait, what, why isn't the win fortified? Like, I, I feel like, I, I think they, they probably sort of thought through. I mean, obviously, these guys know Lewis Hamilton probably even better than you and I do um, to sort of say, to say, like, fortify the win. It's like, wait, against what? Like, what the hell is going to happen? Well, that, no, you can you just... Know, my, you can say we can't tell you more right now, but you don't have to say like – they literally said don't ask questions, just do it. I mean maybe that wasn't the exact wording. Pretty much though. Yeah, they def- they said don't ask questions. No time for questions, something like that. Yeah. No time to explain, just push. I think is is all that you need to know and at the time Lewis is probably like, what the hell? But I would I would call that tone deaf at a minimum. I think there were better approaches – I should be in HR because I could I could soften that. You take uh, the reports from the engineers to the people. <laughs> exactly, which is what I would do exactly in that situation. Yep. I would have a person for that, of course, to literally hand it off. But the point is, to me, that was a way to get the wrong kind of adrenaline pumping in Lewis. And it worked out. He handled it, and he's mature and everything else. But I'm just saying my two cents was that was – Mercedes is kind of like this, like, paranoid superhero. You know what I mean? They've got so much dominance, yet when the tiniest little thing goes wrong, they, they're very nervous about it. And this was a situation, and I'm not saying it's not understandable if you lost your win as a result of this, but you got to give yourself just, allow yourselves to have just a little bit of inner confidence. You won the Constructors' Championship in 2014. You're leading pretty comfortably in 2015. Drivers' Championship, again, that's uh, looking very likely for you guys. So just, you don't need to instill anxiousness into these little situations. 
I feel like that's how you how you lose, though, is because you're like, oh, we're comfortable. We don't need to be looking out for every little possible thing. I didn't say get on the radio and be like, Lewis, slow down because we just don't care because we're baller like that. He, they didn't. They don't need. They can still tell him, hey, we do need you to speed up, but they didn't have to be so blunt and like and distant about exactly why. They could say, look, we really can't say now, but just to ensure that we get this win as we want, as we ought to, please try to help us pull a bit more of a gap. They say, Lewis, you look nice today. I just want to say. <laughs> Lewis, Lewis, if you lost weight, what you're doing is perfect. Uh, we had a little thing. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Just be a little bit perfecter, if you could be. Anyway, uh, so let's move on by going backwards in time. And talk about the very beginning of this race. When one uh, Kimi Raikkonen, who was on outside pole, which I was very happy about. Oldest uh, active driver in the field, outside pole. And it shows where that start. Uh, <laughs> outqualified Sebastian Vettel. Right. And he did so in multiple, you know, Q1, Q2, through th- in both Q2 and Q3, he outqualified Vettel. And... He had a great run going, and then the start just went, blah. and he was in the back, just like that. Right. Yeah, so thankfully, um, everyone got around him cleanly. Uh, you know, Nico Rosberg was directly behind in fourth place and was able to react quickly and just, you know, get around, but then everyone else, uh, usually the, the trouble is sort of later back in the field where people are getting up to speed, and they're following the guy in front of them who all of a sudden pulls out of the way, and there's a completely stopped car, and, and those guys are traveling really quickly already, so it's very common if a car is it's stalled up near the front of the grid, that someone from way farther back already has quite a good bit of speed and can't react in time. But thankfully, uh, that didn't end the race. And that would have been so sad for all the Ferrari fans to have, you know, their guys starting second and third. And then the guy has second, you know, okay, he has a bad start. That's bad enough. But then if someone had crashed into it, if, you know, say a, a manor or something, especially, it's sort of like one of these one of these teams that there's not quite as many passionate fans about uh, right there in Italy. Um, they might... Uh, you know, that would be a really, really bad way for, you know, Raikkonen to be taken out of the race. So thankfully, that didn't happen. But as you say, within a few seconds, he was dead last in the field. And uh, and then he did, you know, the car went into anti-stall. He was able to get going. And in his post-race interview, he didn't add much more information than what we saw from TV. It's like, I went to do the start, and it didn't work. And then the car went into anti-stall, and then eventually I got moving, and I was at the back. So that's what we saw, but why? And he's sort of like, well, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, the start I- was bad. I mean, it's it is what it is, right? And I think that what was very Kimi, but also very true, is like Will Buxton was like, "Man, if that didn't happen, there's a real good chance he would have ended up on the podium." He's like, "Yeah, but that did happen, and I ended up fifth. And you know, it's kind of like, well, he's right. And there's no point in thinking about the woulda, coulda, shouldas in the world, and you know." Yeah, that's so easy in Formula One to say, oh, well, if, if this pit stop hadn't done that, and then this other thing hadn't done that, and then exactly. this other guy had done this, then you'd be a world champion. It's like, okay, but none of those happened, so I'm not. You know, right. It is very practical and, you know, in, in a way sort of helpful to get away from, oh, man, what doesn't, does it hurt that much more that you're in Italy and you could have been on the podium and all these screaming fans? It's like, yeah, but that didn't happen, so right. why bother wasting energy on that? And he still, he finished fifth. He did a very good job. That was outstanding of him to come back from that. Exactly right. Thank you for saying so. And uh, it was interesting. He blamed he blamed the uh, as he blamed a bad clutch. And uh, Arriva Barrett, Arriva Bene, uh, Ferrari's team principal, was like, "Well, maybe his finger slipped." And but then Arriva Bene went on to say, "Hey, uh, 
I haven't seen data, so I'm not I'm not here to con- accuse Raikkonen. I'm just saying could have gone either way. And then I didn't see anything about it since then. So I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things that happens. Right. And again, it's you know they're the team. Of course, is always going to be looking at all the data and all the parts and make sure that everything's fine for the next race. And probably it will be fine for the next race. You know, it's not like they're going to nurse a bad clutch for the rest of the season. If that's, that's the kind of thing they can, they can fix and work around and, and, you know, make right. So it is just kind of like that definitely scuppered his race. Um, and then of course, Rosberg who had to take evasive maneuvers behind him then was passed by the Williams because he was, you know, his, his start was compromised by, uh, by virtue of having to get around Raikkonen. So, um, you know, that was sort of a, a bit of a, a win for the Williams. Um, but, you know, Rosberg had been had been off the pace already. Like we say, you know, qualifying fourth, um, not second. You know, not next to Lewis, um, but was out qualified by uh, by both Ferraris. And he had, uh, you know, he he was on the, on the older power unit. Um, I guess it was the Spa power unit as well, which that's another track that um, has lots of ups and downs, like we talked about, and uh, and enough long straightaways. There's quite a bit of engine, uh, you know, being used there. And uh, his engine, you know, there was there was some question over Rosberg's engine, which of course is easy to look back, at, you know, having seen that, you know. Well, only only what two laps from the end? I mean, it's very close to the end of the race. Um, yeah. that, I uh, think three or four, but still, okay. yeah. You know that uh, Rosberg's engine did fail in spectacular fashion. Apparently, after they turned it up to try to chase down uh, chase on Vettel, um, they said, "Oh yeah, let's, let's you know give the engine some more some more oomph, and then you know go on the attack." And then apparently, not much longer after that, kablamo, and uh, <laughs> they lost the engine in spectacular fashion. What did it? What did it and, and 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 boom goes the dynamite. And boom went the dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's going to become a thing now. That's that, that that does not need to be one of our this that, that uh, that's conversations that started off air, gentlemen and ladies and uh, people people that know about podcasting. They know about the internet. They know about Boom Goes the Dynamite. Oh, this is not news to people. That's that's good because I was about to explain it. Okay. All. No. Yes. You don't, you don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. Now. So um, go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking. You know, so a. Terrible weekend for Rosberg. Um, we, as we talked about before, you know, Rosberg did have a string of success for a little while, and you know, earlier in the season. Um, but it really has been the Hamilton show lately, and this is not not Rosberg's fault in this case. Um, but it is just a kind of piling on of the qualifying didn't go quite how he wanted, and then the race didn't at all go how he wanted because he had, you know, he got he got behind some people then did undercut, did make some, make some ground back in the pits. But then after all that, you know, all that effort, uh, had, had the big engine failure. That's 25 points in terms of the gap lost to Lewis, who's just completely, I would say on fire, but Rosberg's car was the one on fire. Um, you know, Lewis is just <laughs> completely on fire. Rosberg literally on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Well, here's, here's what's right. Yeah. It's, it's tough for Rosberg, but you know, these type of things happened to Hamilton last year and, Hamilton had to deal with it. So, you know, Rosberg in some ways had quite a bit of fortune in 2014. And maybe this is just his kind of, you know, just his luck kind of averaging out over his career. Maybe that's uh, not entirely fair to Rosberg. This was unlucky today. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But for me, it's like, yeah, these cars, they're pushed hard. This is the most engine critical uh, race on the calendar. This absolutely can happen. What's fascinating about it, though, with Rosberg not scoring any points, Lewis Hampton is now leading the Constructors' Championship by more than two race wins, 252 points. Or the Drivers' Championship. Drivers' Championship, sorry. 252 points to Rosberg's 199. However, only 21 21 points behind is Sebastian Vettel. 
So Vettel is keeping uh, and keep an eye on that kid. He's got a future. I think so. And Rosberg, Rosberg does seriously need to keep an eye. I I don't think there's any huge concern here, but that's close enough to be a real threat, right? And then from Vettel, who's third in this championship, 178 points, to Massa, who's fourth, 97 points. There's a big drop. Right. So it's it's fascinating to see. This is a very comfortable situation for Lewis Hamilton. And I think still largely a comfortable situation for Rosberg as well. But this was not a good result for him. But again, on the other hand, and then on this hand, third the third hand. On the third hand. This was Italy. This was really the most important event for Ferrari to show well. And I think you can say that Ferrari showed very well. They qualified second and third. So they split the Mercedes and Raikkonen ahead of Vettel. <clears throat> and they also finished second and fifth. And considering the start they had, that was quite brilliant. And I have to say, because Raikkonen started effectively in the back, they, the Tifosi and everyone else got to see Raikkonen passing people all over the place. Right. So, yeah, I remember that from Raikkonen, from his McLaren days, that every once in a while, whether in qualifying there'd be a problem or an early race issue or cut tire or something like that, that would put him at the back and we'd be watching other battles and seeing whatever was going on. And then before you realized it, you see Raikkonen, you're like, oh, where is he now? I wonder if he made it up into the top 10 or whatever. He'd be fourth or fifth or third or something. You know, it's just, he has this way of cutting through the field that is just, you know, I don't know about second to none, but he's right up there when it, when things go wrong. I don't know what it is he's able to do and get in a certain mindset that some of the other guys aren't or what, uh, that is, uh, is really just incredible. And it's great to see that he still has it. Um, well, and I think it's where the Iceman nickname really came from. Yeah. Is he just carries on about his business fairly emotionless. It's okay, the start was bad, but now I'm in this place and I need to get as far up right. as I can. And exactly. To, you know, we did see his moves every once in a while, but he was just nearly constantly passing people and making his way up and his pit strategy all worked out okay and got in the tires and did the whole thing. And uh, to, yeah, to recover to from dead last to fifth uh, and, you know, keep the car all in one piece in doing so at Monza in front of the in front of the Tifosi and all that was great. And uh, he's got to be happy about having his additional year at Ferrari and not having to race for his job in this case. And we'll see what you know, what he finds as fun to do uh, for 2017. Uh, but at least we know he'll be in the Ferrari again in 2016. Uh, but to go back to Rosberg for a second, presumably for Singapore and on for the rest of the season, uh, he will have the 2016 spec power unit as well. And it was, this was Lewis mm. uh, testing it and... Obviously, the test went well because he dominated in the race. And when they told him to turn it up at the end, he was able to turn it up. And that's one of those things we haven't seen in a while. Um, because in most cases, if, especially if it's both Mercedes are out in front or whatever, the last sort of third of the race, they can dial it back because they don't need to push the engine as hard as possible. They want to just maintain a comfortable lead. And if someone else starts making a late race charge, they can you know, turn it up a little bit to keep them keep at bay. So it was well, cool. Well, to, I mean, the traditional you want to win by the least margin possible, you right. want to take it as easy on the equipment as you can. So, and that's of course been a criticism as well with fuel saving and some of the other things that have made people not always be driving at ten tenths. But it was cool to see with when the team says, "Lewis, go as fast as you can, go set quality laps." And basically, moments after saying that, you'd see fastest lap for Lewis, fastest lap for Lewis. He did, uh, he, you know, respond to that and was able to put in these fast laps, and it was cool to see. So, I don't know if there's a a rule change in there that you know, what you would do to try to make it better. Uh, you know, you don't want to have, I guess that that's some of the idea of a sprint race and then an endurance version or whatever to say, 
it is really great to see the drivers just pushing flat out as fast as they possibly can uh, because that's great to see. But uh, anyway, it was, you know, the power unit worked apparently really, really well for Lewis and presumably uh, Rosberg will have that soon as well and will probably be able to carry out the rest of the season. Of course, luck, who knows, you know, crazy things can happen, but uh, I'm thinking that Rosberg will be in fine shape to uh, continue defending against Vettel, even though Ferrari is looking pretty strong right now. So behind Lewis and the Ferraris, well, and one of the Ferraris, Felipe Massa got on the podium. That was a very popular thing for Italy to see. But more of the impressive part for me was that he did so ahead of his teammate, only just. And I think that's been one of the lovely um, entertainment um, things for us is watching Massa and Botas go at it. Botas is certainly very highly highly regarded in uh, the F1 circus these days. Uh, He was being looked at pretty closely for Ferrari jump, depending on what happened with Raikkonen. That's been settled now. and Which kind of pushes that conversation to next year, or 2017 now, because, you know, we'll see. Right, exactly. But it's really nice to see that Massa is ahead of Botas, into Constructors' Championship. And he is still showing that he has pace as well, and he can race Botas when he really needs to. Considering what happened in Silverstone, the team was very quick to make sure that everyone knew that Botas and Massa are allowed to race each other. There are no commands to you know, maintain course or anything like that. And Well, there's always the implicit, don't do anything stupid, or well, sometimes the explicit, don't well, do it. Of course. You know, you're going to push hard with anyone, but be extra careful with your teammate because that is the worst thing you can do to take out both yourself and your teammate. Please, 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 no one complain about that. That's completely reasonable. No, not not that, yeah, Claire should get on the radio and say, hey, go ahead, you know, if you guys need to crash, go ahead and crash. I mean, no one's going to say that, but there is just that (laughs) slight added um, bit of courtesy, I guess, that is is used uh, with one's teammate um, just just because of the nature of the relationship and how they fit within the team. That's the only thing that's a little bit different from just passing any other car that's out there. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I But I think what makes that a road away right away is the desire to be ahead of your teammate, always and forever. The person you need to beat more than anyone else is your teammate. At that point, all the other positions are secondary. It's like, yeah, it'd also be nice to win the race, if not win second and on and on. But if I'm ahead of my teammate, okay, good. Right. So... I was really happy to see Massa do well, get on the podium, speak some Italian, and uh, be able to chat with George Lucas. Dude, the George <laughs> Lucas thing. And uh, and be ahead of Botas, just to kind of remind people that, hey, it's not so one-sided. You know, he Botas did have the failure in Australia, but at this point, we're well in the season. They both had their ups and downs. And Massa is ahead of Botas in the championship. And Williams uh, and it is, it is uh, both Mercedes drivers on top, Vettel in third, Massa is fourth in drivers' championship, so um, and Kimi fifth. So Williams is behind Ferrari in the constructors' championship, but right now the drivers' championships are split between Williams and Ferrari. Hmm. So yeah, that's uh, you know it's 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 good for Massa, but I think uh, you know I, I wonder. Uh, Will Massa be one of these guys that races well into his 40s and whatever? Or, you know, it's, at some point, uh, Williams is probably going to have to look at uh, 
you know, where the money comes from and what they can get for the best results. And of course, you know, for now, the idea of sort of splitting it and having one, one veteran driver and one younger driver and working on the de- development of the raw pace and all that um, has been good. And for now, it seems like Massa is doing really, really well. Uh, one wonders how long he can keep that up, um, just partly sort of physically with his age and his family life and wanting to uh, spend more weekends, you know, with his with his with his little boy, you know, Filipino and all that. And uh, if, if his priorities shift at all, or if he at some point feels like, I've had a really great career, and I think he has. Um, of course, never as world champion. Almost so close one time. <laughs> I mean, he he got as close as you can get without winning it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, being but for half a lap, he sort of was. And then with Lewis passing and, uh, and all that. So, yeah, that was to get that close in, of course, the Ferrari at the time and all that. And then to sort of have this, this second wind with, uh, with Williams and all that um, is really uh, nothing to discount in terms of having a, a very solid career. But yeah, you, you kind of wonder if if that's going to carry on forever, or kind of you know what's the what what's the what are the next few years look like for Massa? Twenty sixteen, as we said, he's in the Williams again, and then past that, who knows? Uh, but it is good to see that for now he's not just languishing around and having bad results or whatever. He is right in there with his, as you say, really well regarded teammate Botas, uh, who also we'll have to see what the next few years look like for him. Is that does he help you know the Williams take them to be back to being you know a championship leading team or or you know in with uh, or a championship contending team right yeah would be a nice step forward because they're this one level down from that right now yeah and uh, one level down from that is Force India but they again they had a great double points finishing result here Sergio in sixth Nico in seventh mm-hmm. and yeah showing some real pace again it just they are a great team to follow being smaller yet still with real pace. And by the way, uh, it's been confirmed, and I think I'm remembering that it's been confirmed that Hulkenberg will be with Force India for the next two years. And I think Sergio was also sent, uh, was also added on for a year that for that for Sergio, I think, though. Yeah, I don't recall, but I, for, for next year, certainly. And of course, one thing that these teams that we're talking about have in common is Mercedes Power, which is a huge help right now compared to the Renault and, you know, to, to the lesser extent compared to the Ferrari. So that's one of the other big things that's been talked about this past week is um, Renault Power in the Red Bull, and can they switch to being Mercedes-powered? And then how does that <laughs> fit with... Uh, Lotus, uh, you know, being bought by Renault as a factory team, and then they don't use Mercedes power anymore. And it has been now confirmed. Mercedes has said, we, has said, we will not provide engines. We will not sell engines to Red Bull. Uh, and if you think about it, that could be a really, really strong combination of if the Red Bull car is as good as it kind of used to be compared to the rest of them, and it's just the Renault engine that's letting them down, if that is true, that they've sort of always said has been the case. Which is case, a very big if. That is a big if. But if that is true, or to some extent it's probably partially, you know, that is probably well, a pretty it, strong it's car. It's partially true, um, yes. Then that could be, you know, that could be Mercedes not handing victory because it's certainly more complicated than that. But that could be a really strong pairing. So... I, I, you can understand why Mercedes would be say, would say, hey, we've got our works team. That's doing really well right now. Um, they're probably not hurting for money in terms of as Mercedes, the global automaker, um, having to think, you know, yeah, a couple million dollars here and there is great. But if they're if they start getting overshadowed by Red Bull, uh, then and you know, then the, their whole branding story and stuff falls apart a little bit. So they're happy to provide Williams with engines. They've said they'll provide Manor with engines, and that again would be could be a oh. huge step forward for Manor Marussia oh. um, to get uh, to get the Mercedes engine in that car. I would be very happy to see that. Uh, but say, ah, Red Bull, no thanks. You know, we'll stick. We'll supply Lotus. We'll supply Williams. You know, we'll we'll send you know Force India. Uh, these teams that aren't uh, you know maybe quite as much of a threat in terms of the car design. Um, but uh, which is which is great because it's sort of like 
you've got right now anyway Mercedes at the at the top top in terms of pace you know right there beating the Ferraris uh, beating the Red Bulls of course um, and then you've got some of these other teams that are that otherwise may not be quite as high up the grid um, like Williams Force India uh, and then of course Manor right now is way off but if they if they got the Mercedes engine and especially some of the kind of the engineering expertise that goes along with that uh, that could be a, a big shot in the arm for Manor which I think is such a sort of you know, scrappy little guy story to have have Manor move up and uh, and be part of the things. And they can they could always beat the McLarens that way, uh, <laughs> right? You know. Well, I, you know, I, I think this is an opportunity for Red Bull to come to Ferrari, be like, hey, let's uh, let's make something happen here because Ferrari could use an, an additional uh, set of feedback from two more cars running their engines, and maybe that would help Ferrari um, push their horsepower number closer to Mercedes. And make for a better fight overall. And that's one of the things we talked about with Haas F1 for next year is that uh, I think I think it was just recently confirmed as well that the uh, one of the one of the Haas cars will be a Ferrari development driver, and then the other one will be whatever team's choice. Ferrari reserve driver. Yeah, reserve yes. driver. Yeah, we looked at this before. The, the test driver, reserve driver, development driver. Those are all those are all different yeah, roles. Apparently, are, yes, I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we'll see if um, you know how, how the I guess really the how the Renault. Uh, Lotus power partnership, if there is one, or the buyout or whatever uh, happens, because uh, there's been in in the last few weeks there's been a lot of sort of rumors and things coming out and saying, oh yeah, the, the, it's a done deal, it's just got to be signed, and then people come out and say, actually, you know, it's not, you know, there was supposed to be a presentation and that hasn't happened yet, or then there was a presentation and the people weren't amazed by it, and poor results. Like Italy was about the poorest of results with two both cars retiring um, in the very beginning of the race. Yes, is uh, about the worst you can do. I mean, I guess you know DNS would be even worse, but. Um, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help their case. There's somewhere in the data that shows that it was past horse fault. And uh, so everyone will be just very happy to see that. They're like, ooh, thank God that we can explain this with past door. Right. And now Lotus has taken that such traditional mid-season approach and saying, oh, well, now we're prioritizing 2016 car development, which we've definitely seen in the past and sometimes is really helpful. And the next, the next year's car comes out amazing, but is more of like an excuse towards you guys are having really poor performance right now. What's going on? Oh, no, it's, that's just the old car, man. You could, The new car, though, is going to be amazing. Yeah, it's but, like, I mean, yeah. come on. Lotus in, Lotus performed very well in Spa. I mean, it's not all that. Well, one, one Lotus performed right now. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Grosjean performed very yes. well in Spa. Right. And uh, so, yeah, Italy did not go well for them. This is, as we've said many times now, this is the engine. Um, this is the engine track. And... Uh, Someone has to have the dud Mercedes motors, right? So <laughs> what do you do? I, I just I kind of feel like, okay, this would be – I because of what happened in Spa, I don't think this is right to say, well, there goes lower skin trending towards the negative. I think they could bounce back in Singapore and everything's you know back to what we've seen. It will be interesting though because uh, Lotus is behind – Force India in the Constructors' Championship by 13 points. Force India with 63, Lotus with 50. So Force India, if they keep their good streak going, could you know have a solidly fifth in the Constructors' result this season. That that would be good for them because I think they've been. I think they might have been fifth before potentially, but they seem to be like dead set on mid-pack stuff. Finishing fifth, sixth, seventh in the constructors championship. Yeah, and it's it's a good time right now for Force India. Of course, they've got uh, Checo Perez, the Mexican driver, and they've got uh, this big sponsorship through Telmex and Claro and all these, you know, the Mexican uh, advertising on the car and all that. And of course, it's the inaugural reintroduction of the 
Mexican Grand Prix in a month or so's time. So for them, there's a lot going on. It's sort of they're on the on the, the higher end of the sponsorship and these corporate deals and these things working out and they've got their guy and it's a you know, huge deal in Mexico, I'm sure, is being all advertised everywhere well, right now. It's a boon that they sign Hulkenberg for two years. Hulkenberg is a top-level driver. Right. He jumped into a Le Mans car and won the race. He's highly regarded in Formula 1, just the timing hasn't worked out and I'm not saying he doesn't share any of the blame, but it's largely been unlucky for him. So... He's a phenomenal driver to have, and I think with the experience he has now, he's probably one of the better development drivers you could get too. Right, Sergio, he's scrappy, man. You can't, yeah. you can't deny his ability to just really try and squeeze out as much as humanly possible out of the car. So it's it's a good driver's lineup for them, and the Mexican Grand Prix with the Sergio connection is a boon because they can have they can really go to bigger Mexican corporate uh, uh, people and say, hey, look look at this combination and maybe yeah. get... We've got good results. There's this huge Mexican event happening. There's you know plenty of high-end yeah, corporate money and stuff changing hands. So they're kind of at a, at a good cycle in contrast to Lotus Renault. Uh, and you know, talking about coming up uh, Singapore, there's a lot of walls around the Singapore track. And Ooh. Pastor Maldonado is not great in tracks with walls. So... How would you say the Pirellis are with 17G in, impacts laterally? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's going to be a challenge. So we'll see. I mean, we don't, of course, wish that Pastor Maldonado goes out and crashes on stuff, but it just seems like it happens an awful I, lot. I, I may be the only one left in this world, but I still think Pastor, at his core, is a good, worthy driver that just... Crashes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, okay. So speaking of the Pirellis, though, for a moment, this has been the other big, big thing swirling around is the uh, continued conversation about spa tire issues and then how that has uh, has come in. You know, this de- deflation thing um, hasn't, hasn't helped that conversation. Uh, so there was apparently an order that came out for uh, the drivers aren't allowed to talk, say anything bad about Pirelli. Uh, now the meeting sort of this, this gag order. So wait, so there's there's no uh, freedom of speech in Formula One, right? Which is which is funny in a way because you know Formula yeah, One it's is funny in a lot of ways. Well, it's not a it's not a country. It doesn't have a constitution that, that provides these things. So, but how? You know, I mean, as a Formula One driver, you have a contract with a team, and that they, says you're going to do certain things. So it, I don't think freedom of speech is implied in Formula One anyway. It's sort of I think a, a, a silly thing to sort well, of say it's, that it's ironic means. you say that though because freedom of speech is what's encouraged more and more. It's like we want the drivers' personalities to come out. We want the human element of Formula One to be there. Well, but when you have a report like that that says you're not allowed to say bad things about this thing, well, so what happened? You know, of course, the big thing was was Sebastian Vettel uh, saying, "Hey, this this is you know this is nonsense. I had this failure." Uh, Rosberg, of course, had his big failure in practice as well, and uh, the. Uh, you know the outcome from that was you know some some talking about it, and then uh, there was also another tweet from uh, Rosberg a while ago that was, that was brought up recently, where he had a tire blowout in testing, and he had some tweet about oh man my tire you know blew out at 300 kph, and you know no I need new underpants or whatever, but uh, that that was then sort of deleted because it, you know there's just sort of this ongoing um, yeah we want the driver's personality, but within this you know the personality that reflects poorly you know that reflects. Uh, you know, well on the brands that are involved and the sponsors and the team and the drivers and the whole thing. Cause, uh, there is of course the, the general, uh, you know, MO of Formula One drivers, which is sort of, Oh yeah, you, you gotta, you know, thank the guys in the factory and you gotta thank the sponsors and you gotta run through your checklist of, of things. So, uh, there is this, 
you know, all, all the drivers have contracts and those contracts I'm sure have stipulations about not disparaging saying, oh yeah, you know, I, I drove amazing, but my car was, was super crappy, you know, partly, you know, maybe that's explicit in the contract, but partly that's just understood to not be a good way to go about it because those are the same guys that are going to be at your car for next time if you're still a driver for next time. Right. So there's, there's always been this kind of game face, you know, approach of you, you know, as a team player and it is still a team sport, um, you have to, you have to work within that. But what I think has been the problem is Pirelli probably talking to FOM and Bernie Ecclestone and these guys saying, you know, hey, yeah, we, we make lots of money from, you know, you guys buying tires from us, but it's still a huge undertaking for them. So for Pirelli, this is ultimately just a big advertising campaign for them. Does Pirelli make money? I don't think they make money. Maybe I think not. They, I think they spend millions and millions right. to be in Formula One and they get some money back from the teams perhaps, but I, I, I'm sure it costs Pirelli to do this and it's a marketing budget thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sorry. I didn't say that well, but that's what I meant. So it's the, um, for them, this is a giant Pirelli advertisement, basically this whole program. So if the, what comes out of this is media reports with drivers saying, oh, these Pirelli tires are no good, then that's defeating the entire purpose. So I think Pirelli and their- But see, uh, okay. I'm sorry to interject, but I think Pirelli much more correctly could be saying, you asked us to make these tires not as good. You asked us to make them less durable. You asked us not that they have all these problems, but that they wear out more quickly. And these teams keep pushing them beyond what we keep telling them right. is their, you know, limits around the car. So I don't know why they would go for this, like, you know, silencing the driver's approach when they could just say, no, these teams are ridiculous. They asked for the sport asked for more. We gave them what they asked for, and now the teams are complaining about it. Right. Well, that's the the nuanced view if you understand the situation and understand how Pirelli fits into that. But I think that doesn't travel nearly as far as a headline of Sebastian Vettel says Pirelli's are crap. And to be clear, actually, Vettel's really savvy about this. And he said, he said, you know, there were some issues with the tires. He never said Pirelli by name. He didn't actually say the tires are bad. He said, you know, there were problems and there shouldn't be problems like this. And then, of course, part of Pirelli's thing was there's like debris all over the place, guys. And you know, that's not, that's not our fault. That's, you know, the track, you know, we don't have, we have, we've had so many Grand Prix without this kind of failure. And at the spa, spa race specifically, we had, you know, an average of all, you know, 14 cuts per tire or whatever it was. Um, and so normally we have sort of, you know, one cut per tire on average or something. There's like all these uh, yeah. way more debris. And it's funny, the numbers were way more extreme. It's like, usually it was like 1.8 average. Yeah. And then this time it was 65 or something. So. Right. It was some crazy, some crazy values. And which pointed this finger towards Spa, and Spa said, "No, we we have a whole track cleanup procedure, and our stuff is fine. Uh, really, the problem is all these drivers are going off track a lot. And if everyone was within track limits, like is supposed to be the case, you know, the track is supposed to end where that white line is. And if everyone were driving on the track, it'd be fine. But they kind of then sort of push the ball a little bit farther to say the problem is that track limits aren't being enforced. And of course, if one guy gets an advantage by going a certain this way is, around a corner, this then is such a just do it. it's just becoming a ridiculous twisted web of the blame game." Well, yeah, you know what I mean? because is, Pirelli is trying to get their marketing thing. The drivers are trying to, you know, have their own careers and their own things. The teams are trying to do their thing. So isn't that frustrating, though? Like, it's so sanitized to the set. You know, like, how is it that a tire failure failure is the fact that they're that uncommon is in of itself an incredible thing. Right. Tires fail when they're under extreme conditions. Tires go in go uh, take incredible loads at in, at a three-dimensional level, you know, laterally, longitudinally, and then, uh, you know, vertically, all these different kinds of forces. Everything that a Formula One car does, other than crash, goes through the tires. And sometimes even the crashes. It's sometimes even the crashes. So what, what a tire does in Formula One is incredible. And 
it is it is a wear item. <laughs> if you push it too hard, it can wear out. Why is it such a terribly extreme thing well, that a tire actually blows? Even to, to to take that step one or to take that thought one step further, Pirelli could make a tire that is way bigger and heavier and thicker. That is, you know, they can make run flats for these cars and say, Ooh, run flats. You know, okay, you want a tire that won't break down under any circumstances? Fine, here's your tire, and then we lose that fun element of the racing of oh, these are really grippy tires. And no, the tires I disagree. I think that'd be awesome. Can well, you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> if the tires didn't have any grip anymore and it was arrow that was doing everything and then just slidey drifting. I was going to make a Pastor Maldonado run flat joke in there. It, but it, anyway. it was going to, you know, all of us in the break, break zones for these incredibly high speed quarters go from 50 meters to 450 meters. It's like me. Right. Well, so one bing. of the things that's been talked about is, is Pirelli getting, uh, I don't know if fed up is the word, but just sort of looking at their business options. Uh, one of the things that talked about is, oh, maybe we go back, go back away from these designed to fail tires because... When they fail, if we're not, if, if people are yeah, blaming the tire for it, yeah, you know, when it's like, hey, this is exactly what you guys wanted because you had that amazing Canadian Grand Prix where the tires all went wrong because the temperatures were weird, and everyone looked at that and said, oh, that was actually a really fun race. Let's do more like that. Yeah, and they did. So anyway, that's um, it's it's be a shame to go back to tires that last forever and then less grip overall. I think the current uh, setup has been good, but I do think there's some there's some legitimacy to what both. Uh, Spa is saying about poorly enforced track limits. I mean, you know, the limits should be what they are, and they, but the enforcement should be consistent. And the trouble is when, uh, if there's a rule and everyone understands that it's a rule, but it's not being enforced, then it's just who breaks the rule and by how much and who gains an advantage. And, and as, as soon as one guy does it, everybody's going to want to do it. But then also, you know, I don't think the tires uh, should be designed. You know, run flats is a, is a sort of goofball extreme example, but um, they have a certain operating envelope and they should be fun and interesting in terms of the, the, the racing and the sport that we want to watch um, should not be defined by uh, massive tire failures and dangerous situations. They should be designed by tires that allow lots of grip and then wear out, which means you've got to do pit stops. It means you have to change, plan your strategy and drive at the limit and manage the tires. That 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 works when it's all working. So hopefully this this gag order thing doesn't really go to anything. and It shouldn't be uh, – hopefully that's not what defines the – the conversation going forward uh it's sort of lame that that happened especially when that you know the group coming up with that and you can imagine bernie ecclestone in sort of the i don't know if crotchety old man mode is is the right term for it but uh, i think that's pretty close i think it probably is so so, <laughs> so you know he's got these, all these people that are you know being pushed forward by their by their companies and you know ferrari saying this and and spa is saying that and pirelli is saying this other thing uh and then they come and he goes okay fine make it a rule none of the drivers can say anything bad about pirelli like does that get you what you need? Like, get out of my office. <laughs> I want to go take a nap. <laughs> You're on my um, lawn. It's not really a solution. It's just, uh, you know, trying to put a Band-Aid over it. Um, and, and hopefully that, you know, goes away because that just seems like a not the right way to solve the problem. If there are legitimate concerns, then hopefully this should be debated. But the problem is I think these magazine headlines that aren't the nuanced response, it's exactly what you said of Pirelli saying, guys, the thing, you know, really, if you look at what Pirelli's done, it's great because you are, you ask us for Long life tires, we gave you that. You ask us for short life tires, we gave you that. You ask us for tires to do this, we give you that. You know, what else do you want from us? Pirelli's doing an amazing job, but that's that doesn't make headlines. When the tires work fine for a race, no one says, hey, you get another race, the Pirelli's were amazing. Just keep that in mind, everybody. That's not a story. You're absolutely right about that. Absolutely right. <laughs> okay. While while I'm worked up, there's one, <laughs> there's <laughs> one last thing. That I think we should talk about. Um, okay. What is that? Specifically, there's a comment from James Payne to our page from the other day um, who says, For someone who has loved F1 since I was five, I've never been more disappointed in the state of F1 than I am now. That was one of the most boring races I have ever watched. Not even the late dramas from Mercedes could save it from that fate. 
Worst was trying to hear Crofty and Brundle try to get excited about a McLaren Honda battle for 15th place. For uh, <clears throat> something's sake, <laughs> F1 is supposed to be fast, loud, and exciting. Now it is slow, quiet, and bland. Don't believe me? Watch the video below comparing Montoya from 2004 to Hamilton this year. Pathetic. Um, didn't actually attach the video there, but I know exactly what video he's talking about uh, because this also came across our radar um, from Will Buxton, who I think has, uh, again, a, a really good take on this stuff. I, I, I think you know, I, I appreciate Will's... Uh, you know, writing on these things because it gives him a chance to stretch out more than just what we get up from, from uh, the U.S. broadcasts. Correct. So the video is uh, Juan Pablo Montoya from Monza from 2004 in what is the uh, unofficial lap record in, in, in that for Monza and the fastest F1 lap of all time by extension because Monza is the fastest F1 track. Um, so it's the height of the V10s, height of the tire wars, and this was a practice lap. This was not the qualifying lap. So um, this and he was I think it was in the Williams at the time. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It was his Williams time. So it was um, not, even, you know, it's not the car that won the race. It's not even the same car that got on pole. It was a Ferraris. But uh, this was just like at one point, this car and this driver happened to all come together in the perfect light fuel and whatever tires, and just go and set this amazing lap. Compared against a throwaway lap from Hamilton um, that was an FP2, which was I think betting in some tires and it was probably high fuel. It was like it was not the pole lap, which would have been. Uh, so it's faster. So it's, so it's would have well, been yeah. faster. Would have been faster. Or one of the late race laps to show how well these cars are holding up. So first of all, the comparison is I think kind of bunk anyway because it's um, it, it's the fastest F1 lap of all time compared against uh, just a random lap and not a particularly good one from from this year. Um, but again, just like the headline is the thing. It's just like oh look, this is terrible. F1 today sucks, and it's very easy to jump on that bandwagon. But I respectfully disagree with James Payne, and I'm with Will Buxton on this that. The comparison is is bunk anyway. Um, that it's uh, you know the, in terms of the laps, if you did compare it against Lewis Hamilton's pole lap, it would have been way closer and more impressive. Uh, you know the sound is is its own thing. We've talked about that pretty much into death. I think it has actually gotten better in 2015, and as the as the races have gone on, I've heard very few complaints about it. Um, it's you know in terms of uh, where fans at the tracks and various things that was it was a big shock at the beginning. And a the cars have gotten louder, and b we've gotten used to them. So I think that's that's a that's an opinion thing and. Anyone can appreciate the sound of a V10, and that's fine, and I don't hold that against them. I also appreciate the sound of it, but I understand that there's a um, clearly you don't a big difference. Clearly you don't. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so it's uh, so he anyway. So he goes on to uh, to talk about you know Will Buxton proposes what if we look at the 2004 pole lap at Interlagos set by Rubens Barrichello. Um, you know it says riding high on the emotion of the adoring crowd at the wheel of the all-conquering Ferrari F2004. Car of choice and many people's dream team, as per you know this all this whole what's what's the best car and the driver and the best combination, um, you know widely regarded as, as along with the MP44 as one of the greatest F1 cars of all time, still holds the track and pole position at the majority of circuits raced in that season. Um, Barrichello was on pole ahead of Montoya. Anyway, um, that lap record was broken last year, and again the 2015 cars are even faster. But in the 2014 Turbo V6 car, so. If you were to take that as a comparison, and I think it'll probably even be stronger this year, especially with the 2016 spec engine. And Should be stronger. 2015, all the stuff. like I mean, across the board, the engines right. are stronger this so, year. So it's another great track. You know, talk about the passion of the driver, the skill of the driver, the whole thing. Um, you could you could take that video and put that side to side, and Bill Buxton just basically makes that point that that's, you know, that is a, a more representative competition, and it is showing that, hey, these cars, A, they're using way less fuel, which I get that using lots of fuel is great, and that... You know, it's fun to see cars go really fast, but this car went even faster. It used less fuel. It's high technology. It, it means there's, you know, these manufacturers in the sport. It means all these positive things that are a little bit longer term uh, things. But uh, it's just, it's frustrating to see a video like this that gets so much traction because it, 
you know, it just resonates with people and it's so easy to just see it and not really look into it and think, oh yeah, that one on the left, that's way cooler. You know, I'm going to share that to my friends and, and kind of carry on this, you know, the tired old debate in my opinion and Will's as well of, oh, the old cars are better and the new cars suck and this is really lame. So I just kind of wanted to call attention. I'll put a link in the show notes for Will's article if anyone's interested in, in how he articulates it. Um, but, you know, can we, can we move on from that particular, like, you know, Formula One is terrible these days. I mean, here we are, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're still watching it. We're still loving it. We're podcasting about it. Uh, we're sharing that, our, our, our excitement and enthusiasm for it with our friends. So I don't think it's gone terrible. And yeah, there's, you know, we all have our opinions on how things could be different. And I don't think anyone's saying Formula One is perfect and couldn't be better in any way. But uh, this particular comparison that got so much traction around Facebook and stuff is just not, not a great thing to look at and certainly doesn't, doesn't paint the whole story. You've just been listening to an episode of Jim Lau Gets Passionate. Jim Lau Gets Passionate, brought to you by Caffeine. This podcast is brought to you by the internet, because that's how podcasts work. So, I mean, are you with me on this, or are you you think I'm crazy? Yes. Completely yes. It's both. It's both. Okay. Very, very much so. I think that you are a man that has <laughs> okay. opinions, and I think that those opinions... Uh, should be valued by people in general. But I also think that we should carry on to predictions and how we predicted versus the populace and how all that went down. And I would like to start that conversation off by saying that our good friend Wes um, Toman uh, came back to us and said, Hi guys, by my account and by and to my sorrow, the presentation, the preseason, wow, I'm botching this up, the preseason static prediction of Rosberg on pole Hamilton to win has garnered about 25 points upon reflection if I had doubled down on the on the Lewis that score would have been even better at this point the stats don't lie what a mega car all hail new Mercedes our new Mercedes overlords uh Wes first of all I apologize for uh creaming your uh fun email Second of all, though, we did check your math, and you were correct. You scored 25 points. Uh, we've had 12 rounds so far, and your prediction, while certainly better than what I predicted, is uh, nowhere near the front runners that have been much more on a Hamilton-Hamilton uh, front. What was fascinating to me about your prediction is that sometimes you only scored one point, but... There was never a situation where Rosberg was on pole and Hamilton won the race. That has not happened yet this it, season. Yeah, in 2015. I think that would have been uh, a stronger one last year when, of course, uh, Rosberg got the pole position trophy and had more poles than Lewis. And there must have been combinations where Rosberg was on pole and, and yet Lewis won. But oh, it was interesting yeah. that we, we ran the numbers and looked at actually at no time in 2015. In the 12 races we've had so far, has that particular thing happened? It was a lot of... Mercedes won twos and a lot of Hamilton ones and Rosberg twos uh, in both qualifying and races. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> your worst result was Budapest was Hungary, if I believe, where Rosberg uh, qualified second, but uh, Lewis Hamilton finished all the way down in sixth place. Wah, wah. And uh, sadly, uh, Monza didn't uh, do too well for you either with Rosberg being in fourth place. I have to tell you, though, I, I absolutely respect you sticking to your guns and saying, nope, this is what I predicted, and I want to see how it turns out. But uh, uh, first of all, your math is correct. Second of all, if you just did Lewis across the board, yes, that would have been better. But 
what's the fun in that? And going into the preseason, you didn't know how it was going to go down. It could have been Rosberg that had gotten every pole position but one. And uh, you'd be doing very, very well. So who knows? Right. And it, lest, lest we forget my prediction from the very end of last year was that Rosberg would be the guy that would come together and win the championship for this year, uh, which is now looking less and less likely as time goes by, um, because there was kind of that upward trajectory. Rosberg was doing really, really well. And just when he had errors, Lewis Hamilton was right there. And then, of course, near the very end of the season, um, Hamilton was was really on, on top of it again. And But it was much closer. And it sort of seemed like the times that Rosberg didn't do well, there was some reason for it. And if only once he can get get whatever that is sorted out, he would be right there. And, uh, you know, that's, so it's a very reasonable uh, prediction. And yet, like we said, uh, hasn't uh, hasn't really panned out in this case. Um my prediction for, uh, uh, what is it, Italy, Yes, <laughs> was Hamilton-Hamilton, which was zero points. So was Damien's. Uh, so were, what is it, 68 other people uh, yeah. yes. went that way. So yes. it was not the most exciting of results for the predictions uh, game this time because it was a fairly predictable ham-ham. Um, predictable predictions? What? Right. Uh, well, Usar, that hasn't happened this year. User tied for 82nd place with Vettel Vettel, which was good for three points. There yes. were several other people that were uh, which, on board with that. You know, is a thing. Will Carver, button, button, 27 As, By the points. way, uh, West Toman and I tied uh, for a number of points in Italy. Hmm. He got three and zero, and I got two and one. Yeah, so I, I moved up one place. Uh, one place. I'm in 30th place now, so I'm on the front page. Woohoo! And ironically, I moved up a few. I am now 66th. So, yeah, so it is. So Nils Erlamo still in first place with only 10 points, but it is now a, what, a 24-way tie for second uh, with lots of folks there with 11, and then kind of goes up from there. And I've got 13, so I'm right in there. And uh, I'm not changing nothing. I mean, Hamilton Hamilton is just, it's, it's what's happening right now. And there's going to be some time where Hamilton's going to have some issue and a lot of people are going to get hosed and someone else is going to be uh, fine, you know, is going to move way up. But uh, if, if this ship sinks, man, it's me and a lot of the people going down. So whatever, you know, that's <laughs> the odds are ham ham, I think is just the thing right now. So I did change my prediction to Hamilton Hamilton. <laughs> we are now officially all three of us, you, me, and statistics going with ham ham. There's just no denying the freight train that is Lewis and Mercedes. It's freight train now. It's a freight train. Freight trains don't need Pirellis. Well, it's 2016 spec, baby. <laughs> 2016 spec freight train. Yeah, I mean, it really is. They they just they have it sorted right now. And uh, I think it'd be, uh, unless you're trying some outside crazy uh, prediction to try to get, get clever um, and try to, you know, assume there's going to be some problem. It's like, it's just a thing to make, man. So, and, and I think we have, you know, like say 70, 80 some people all on the same, uh, same ham ham uh, situation. So uh, we'll see. Uh, probably that will be a reasonable prediction. Uh, in one week from today now, two weeks since the last race, there will be the race from the Singapore uh, night race, as we've talked about. Uh, we will also not be able to watch that one live. Our yeah. schedules, man, it's getting it's, crazy. Yeah, and we apologize. It, it gets it gets a bit wonky for us. Uh, September's hard, and as is the very beginning of October. But, fingers crossed. There is a, yeah, there is a race one week after that from Japan, and I think we can cover that one and uh, and get back onto a more normal schedule as things settle down. But who knows? So hopefully, I mean, the, the shows have a little bit of a different tone. Hopefully people uh, still appreciate that because maybe we're a little bit less talking about what just happened in the race and a little bit more about some of the fallout and some of the issues, which in this case with the tire thing, uh, that would have been still, you know, immediately after the race. 
would have still been a huge question about, oh, is Lewis's win going to get taken away? Because that would change a lot. So now, yeah. a week later, we know what's been talked about and what's hanged on. I so, mean, you know, it seems like it worked seriously, out. Seriously, okay. you can tell us if this, it's possible this is better. And if you feel that way, you, you can let us know that. That's quite all right. Right. And to do so, you can always email feedback at funwithcars.com. Or you can also just go to funwithcars.com where you can comment on the episodes directly. And there are also, of course, links to our pages on Twitter and Facebook. You can tweet at us. You can send us Facebook messages. You can post stuff right on the wall. And uh, hopefully we can uh, see that and you can take part in the conversation. Also, if you're tweeting along during races live or not, uh, you can always use hashtag FWCars. Thank you to those taking part in that uh, because we did have some people talking about the uh, – it was uh, what Benazuma saying, you know, when, when they was first announced that, okay, Lewis's win stands and, it's, you know, Hamilton's win is in stack. You know, he was putting that on the hashtag. And, uh, you know, also, yeah, uh, Bernard A and a couple of these guys were um, uh, talking about it. Yeah, Laurie Jordan, uh, the, the usual suspects on hashtag FWCar. So, uh, again, we were not able to. I was I was out of cellular reception range and everything, not, not in front of a TV uh, when the race was happening. And uh, we'll see what goes on for this coming weekend, but certainly for Japan time. And then we get into... Mexico, U.S., Brazil, yeah. those are on our time zone. Those are those are some primetime races. The time zone friendly races. And, we haven't uh, had that since Canada. Yeah, so it should be good, and uh, we should be back in action for some of the live tweetering and uh, all the kind of fun stuff for the end of the season. Whew. So Yeah, and also, if you did happen to like the uh, these podcasts a little bit more, Jim and I both have been a bit more caffeinated for them, and uh, we're starting to run low on our supply of caffeine, so please... Um, ship us caffeine to Jim's house at USA.world. That's Jim house at USA.world. And uh, we will take caffeine there. Yeah, that'll work. So anyway, um, to as soon as we can provide it to you, which I think will be two weeks time from now, roughly. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, we will uh, talk to you then. I am signing off first and I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. Thank you as always for listening. Bam, bam. Dirt, 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 dirt.